Before we have mostly autonomous cars on the road, we'll find ourselves in a peculiar situation. This is a quote from this week's episode in the Tech Emergence podcast from Iran Shear, who's the CEO and founder of Nexar uh, Technologies. They create currently a dashboard app where you can mount your phone and take in visual information uh, as well as information for your accelerometer and microphone to help detect uh, accidents and, and warn drivers of maybe if they're not speeding up or slowing down in time, uh, but also being able to have evidence in collisions to be able to prove to an insurance company whose fault was what and how fast did this accident actually happen. Pretty big market there and pretty big problem to solve. The peculiar situation that Iran is talking about is when the roads are filled with cyborgs rather than autonomous robots in and of themselves. That is to say, people augmented with new sensory information where they can be notified uh, warned or prompted towards safer behavior along with the rest of the cars around them. Iran talks about some of the benefits of having cars sort of networked in terms of the data being shared across vehicles, uh, the benefits of having multiple sensors engaged at once in terms of understanding fault for accidents and uh, getting a better picture of the road in general, and what the transition might look like to fully autonomous cars on the road. What would need to happen in order for that to become the norm, and how would we actually get there? Iran's thought about this quite a good amount here in the construction of Nexar's technology and in rolling all of this out, uh, and he goes into to great depth, and I hope that you folks enjoy this particular episode. This is Iran with Nexar. All right, so Iran, I wanted to speak with you first about where artificial intelligence and, and machine learning is playing a role at Nexar. I know that you folks are, are pulling in data from vision sensors. You're making sense of scenes inside and outside of cars. You've got motion detection going on in the app. Talk to us. This is for everybody tuned in. Nexar right now is an app that you can attach to your dashboard to, to glean data and information around collisions and, and scenes in front of you or in your vehicle. Um, but I want to get have Iran really explain sort of the nuances here. Where Where does AI play its role in all those various sensors and all that technology? Yeah, so... We we uh, use AI in, in various ways for, for various use cases. Uh, number one of our main focus as an app is warning you about potential collisions. So for that, what we do is we're actually uh, tracking all the vehicles around you in real time and detect and predict and, uh, and try to prevent potential accidents by warning you about dangerous situations as they as they occur. When we use a, a, the vision sensor and tracking vehicles and basically deploying virtual sensors on other vehicles around around you, and we leverage also our vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle network to share that information across longer distances so we can warn you about a dangerous situation that's happening five cars ahead of you immediately. Ah, okay. we, we also use sensor fusion to be able to uh, very accurately understand where you are, what's your trajectory, and from that, understand also the tra trajectories of uh, other vehicles, leveraging all of the sensors that a smartphone has, like a gyroscope, accelerometer, barometer, magnetometer, etc. And that is the sort of the real-time component of it. Um, in addition, we do a lot of a scene understanding technology using deep learning to really segment the entire scene, uh, being able to identify 
anything from pedestrians to cars to road signs to traffic lights and uh, or for example just a a random cute example identifying blockades on the road think you're driving behind a garbage truck right and uh, that garbage truck is actually creating a mini traffic jam that uh, would have an impact on routing for other vehicles around you being able to detect that in real time using classification deep learning allowed us to to basically provide such uh, alerts and such warnings got it and to double check in on on the the first notion of you know virtual sensors on other vehicles around you i'm presuming what we're talking about is uh visually detecting where other cars are and getting an understanding for how fast are they going how close are they to us uh what is their yeah. behavior this is sort of the, uh, the this notion of virtual sensors um totally. yeah go ahead yeah totally you're exactly right got it uh and and we talk about you know maybe predicting or notifying folks of things um I'm going to throw a couple examples out there just for the audience to kind of paint a mental picture of when this could be, you know, relevant or how this would take place in real life. Is it, is it possible that, you know, there's a particularly dangerous intersection during rush hour? So, hey, it's a suburban area, but this particular three-way intersection here, really there tends to be a lot of kind of stop and go, a lot of scary moments here, uh, a lot of spooky stuff at this particular intersection. You know, is there like a red light that'll come on as as we're approaching it, or or would it only be like, let's yeah. say, if there's a car in front of us that's already just had an accident, let's say, ten minutes before, oh, and they're now, still in the middle of the road? No, all all for that matter, just now pressing the brakes, right? A lot of those uh, accidents when you're driving in rush hour, just uh, someone for some reason ahead of you. It's pressing the brakes and you don't notice because you're distracted and you, I, I'm trying to warn you with the forward collision warning. So that that use case is called forward collision warning and that's uh, sort of the first use case that we have uh, implemented. But it, uh, there are many, many others. Just to give you an example, one of the most dangerous things that you can do when you drive is to drive much faster or much slower than the swarm around you. So if you're driving down the 280 and uh, everyone are driving, let's say, let's be polite and say 65. <laughs> really, <laughs> really polite, yeah. <laughs> and you're driving like 85 or you're driving 45, okay? That is actually very dangerous. That is a great correlation to risk. And I want to detect what is the current swarm velocity. And actually, if it's 80, you should go 80 and not 65. You know, uh, if you want to be safe. So this is an example of a use case. Another example could be detecting the state of traffic lights. So I can tell you in five seconds, the light will turn into green because I detected the traffic light. I classify the state. I know when it's going to turn green and I I can provide that information to you. Ah, okay. Okay. So, so you're saying the, the camera, which it would seem like that's a lot of work for a phone camera, but the the phone camera could detect, hey, it's a green light in front of you. You're still stopped. You you kind of got to go forward. Or hey, the person in front of you has stopped. You got to pump the brakes. What does this look like from yeah. a user's perspective? Does something show up on their screen? Is it simply yeah. a blinking light of some kind? Is it a voice? Um, what's the interaction with a user to prompt them? You got to start moving. Or hey, you better pump the brakes. 
So uh, obviously there's an audio prompt and uh, uh, because because we want to you to keep your eyes on the road but there is also a, a visual UI and the visual UI is very simple it tells you seconds to impact it tells you uh, kind of this in the case of the vehicle to vehicle use case where you don't actually see the car that is now getting into an accident it tells you the distance and it actually tracks the distance as you close it and it tells you a very, in very colorful way level of danger. Okay, so so something that is very very basic, very primal in from our perspective, very simple. You can see it from the side of your eye, and you know from the uh, and that will be enough. Or you can just you know just listen to the audio prompt and react to that. Got it. Um, and, and so I'm I'm getting a, a little bit of a sense for what this kind of. Uh, prediction can look like the other benefit of course here is that should something happen should should a collision of some kind happen you know were it someone else's fault there would be some degree of evidence obviously if it were your own fault you you might want to you know i'm sh- i'm sure there's people who've tried to turn your app off like oh i didn't just hit that guy well, um but uh <laughs> but it's funny because you'll be surprised how many times people that got into an accident and it was their own fault will still like our reconstruction capabilities because one of the biggest issues that both uh, drivers and insurance companies have is not about liability, it's about severity. So let's say someone, you know, uh, you hit someone on the side and then they come out of the car and say, okay, my back hurts now, I'm going to go to a doctor, I need a surgery, it's like, you know, $100,000 all of a sudden because of a small uh, fender bender, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and you're starting to get into those situations with, if you have Nexo and we reconstruct, we have the capability to basically reconstruct every collision and give you this report, even in the situations where you are the one to blame, you can hedge the severity and the exposure to that, those situations and say, okay, yes, I hit you, but it was a 1G collision and there's no way you dislocated your shoulder because of that yeah okay okay understood so there's a bit of protection on on either side and, and you would use the term called sensor fusion which i think almost any everybody has heard in probably a buzzwordish fashion here you're talking yeah. about a literal application of making sense of multiple sensor outputs at, at, at the same time so or our inputs at the same time so I mean, and this is this is what we do as human beings, right? I mean, we're, we're contextually understanding the world through through touch, through sight, through smell, through whatever. We're we're getting a sense for what's what's happening around us. You're talking about it, maybe in the camera, if someone gets hit and let's let's say the the back right side of their vehicle, the camera might only detect a tiny bit of that scene where you can actually see the front of that other car hit you. But yeah. if you can detect the motion and how violently yeah. and quickly you moved. If you can detect how fast you were going in the first place, if you can detect maybe the the degree of of kind of the sound that was emitted when that that initial collision uh, was made, then we can yeah. get a better sense for how likely is it that this collision was of a certain severity. How likely is injury here? Is this what you're referring to for sensor fusions? Uh, talk the audience yep. through sort of what that means for you. You are absolutely correct. Okay. Okay. So they, uh, c- consider this: we have a smartphone set up on your dashboard looking basically ahead okay so if someone hits you from behind obviously the, the the camera won't see it 
But even in that situation, this is an example I like I like to show typically when I when I present like so because it kind of shows it very vividly. Even in that situation, we are able to reconstruct exactly what happened. Like whether someone hit you at an angle of 175 degrees or 192 degrees at a force of 3.5 G or 5.3, and whether there's a chance of 10% or 30% you got whiplash. So all of these things can be deduced from just a single phone uh, sitting on a single place in the car, and it really doesn't matter in that sense where you put it. Um, and just doing a lot of sensor fusion, a lot of physics, a lot of uh, kind of calibration and machine learning to reconstruct the scene from those from the data that we collect. And, and I gotta, I gotta think myself here, Ron. I mean, just thinking out loud with you, it seems to me as though you know you talked about likelihood of injury right there. You know, yeah. currently you don't have spine sensors or shoulder sensors in the people driving right. the cars. So, of course, that information that you're that you're presenting there, this must have been pulled from a prior data set. And, of course, you know, you guys that are the data true. business here. It, it sounds like when you got started, you probably needed a good deal of crash test dummy car model data. You probably no. needed it because, of, you know, a, two, a 2G hit <laughs> on your right side – if you're in yes. a Hummer is a lot different than if you're in a Miata. So like you, you probably needed a lot of previous data sets from other crash test dummy sort of info, as well yeah. as the kind of injury likelihoods. Where does all that yeah. get pulled from? Because that, that feels so, like, ooh, that's, that's got to be tough to get your hands on all that to, to make sense of so, your initial data. So thankfully, actually, that part is, is uh, relatively solved. There is a about 50 years of, of medical research on the impact of collisions in various different shapes and forms across thousands and tens of thousands and, and hundreds of thousands of, of uh, collisions. And, you know, there are various aspects to it, which is like degree of attack, uh, velo relative velocity, whether you are male or female, that will have an impact. So there's a bunch of this kind of um, basically statistical modeling that pe good people in the medical industry uh, have done uh, over really the, the, the last 50 years. Um, and for, so from that perspective, we didn't develop a new data set. But what's, what's really cool is that we have the data to enter into these models. Typically, when someone gets into an accident, you don't register the G uh, value and you don't register the angle of attack and you, you don't have this data to put into, yep, no into way. those yeah. statistical models. Uh, so from that perspective, we really are uh, leveraging great job that uh, a lot of good people have done in the past. Well, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that because it, it's good to know that a lot of that is accessible. I, I suppose my presumption is that there's still a good deal of, of very valuable academic research that, that really doesn't have you know, all that much openness to it in today's day and age that e even now um, there's still a good deal of, you know, academic insight that's kind of locked behind 50 or 40 different paywalls of different companies, you know, your El Elseviers and your uh, whoever those other big players are in that space. It, it sounds well, as though I, I, in this domain, it's not like that. 
Well, I can tell you, we we are we really are believe in academic collaboration. We have a, a great partnership with the University of California in Berkeley, uh, with the Berkeley Deep Drive program, uh, and it's a great example of a wonderful collaboration because they have lots of great ideas, but they don't have data and they don't have the scale to figure out which ideas are good and which ideas are not so good. And we have a lot of data and we also have lots of good ideas and researchers. So bringing this together have have resulted in a lot of progress in a short time around deep learning, around uh, understanding scenes in a very deep manner, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and, and I think, man, that's, that's a microcosm of a statement for sort of all the progress in, in machine learning and deep learning broadly in the last two or three years. Um, there's just so so much more of that collaborative, open source, university to company, company to university sort of communication. I, I think that's pretty inspiring uh, for the startups out here and even for the researchers out here who want to see progress um, and and you know see the technologies themselves develop. I wanted to get into at least one other question here, Ron. Uh, in addition uh-huh. to the technology, I'm interested in what your vision for the future is when as many cars as possible have these kinds of sensors. Let's say we understand velocity, we understand acceleration, we understand vision on the front of the car, maybe even the inside of the car, the back of the car or something. We've got uh-huh. um, those those kind of accelerometers where we can understand collisions as well, uh, you know, audio. Um, whether it's with the phone and the app or whether we start to build this into vehicles, what does the world start to look like when more and more vehicles have all of these sensors and are connected. What does that permit us to do? If there's still human drivers on the road, what is that? how does that make the world uh, look and feel different or better? Okay, so, so first thing I should say is that it should enable a, a virtually accident-free world. I, I will be a bit of a, I think, contrarian here and say we do not really need the deployment of autonomous vehicles at a massive scale in order to prevent car accidents. There are lots of great reasons why I'm, I can't wait for autonomous vehicles to come, come forward, but safety is actually not one of them. If we, mm. if we deploy enough uh, sensors, if we, deploy, if we make sense of those sensors in real time and warn drivers in a, in a, a smart way, not a spammy way, and connect those vehicles in a network, we can virtually for free reduce car collisions by tens of percent, at least tens of percent. Uh, so that is, I think, our first and foremost uh, goal, the real-time scene, how do we prevent uh, as many uh, collisions as possible. I mentioned forward collision warning. That's just one use case. There are many, many others where we can help people in real time if we deploy this at scale. Got but it. then there's another another level, which is the societal impact. Mm. Because what happens when you sense everything, when you see everything, then everything is accountable, right? So you can start moving to personalize insurance at scale. You can start warning people about bad drivers next to them. You can start doing a bunch of things that will have actually the impact of changing people's behavior, not just reacting in in real time, but actually coaching people how to become better drivers and giving them the incentives to become better drivers. And, and I think we'll see a lot of that in the next decade 
even as as autonomous vehicles start to come in. And uh, it seems to me too, and, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, Iran. But if if we if we have sort of a connected map of car information and in, in all these various roads and intersections and highways and byways, there that may add to information that lets sort of road planners know, you know, where where are we maybe missing the right signs or where do we need to change the speed limits or, you know, what kind of intersections do we need to redesign wholeheartedly because they seem to be not not bad drivers, but it seems as though even good drivers end up in way more accidents here than they do statistically in other kinds of intersections. Maybe that would aid in road design and sign design for drivers as well. Totally. I can tell you that we built, for San Francisco, we built uh, the uh, map of the most dangerous inter- intersections and routes. I can tell you that, you know, a Second and Howard, by the way, is the most dangerous intersection in uh, in San Francisco. And that is very valuable information for the city because it's not only about which which intersection is most dangerous, it's also about why and like what type of event happened there. And it goes from there, it goes all the way down to alerting, uh, sensing and alerting the municipality that there's a new pothole and it's creating an impact. It actually uh, causes collisions or it's co- it causes a bad behavior of drivers on the road. So all of that stack is is now becoming available to city planners, but also to actually ops people uh, on the field in, in cities and uh, on the road. I mean, that, that might actually be if you have that that uh, that report on San Fran, that might actually be interesting to uh, to link up for the folks who are listening in on this interview. That sounds like a pretty pretty valuable example of sort of you know how how are we making maps here? How are we tangibly providing, you know, visual representations of how things could be improved. Um, and I'd, I'd really like to see that because I, I can see that as tremendously sure. valuable for principalities. Car accidents are such a huge uh, mortality risk for us here in America and, and really probably everywhere where you got, you know, cars all over the place. Um, that seems just undeniably valuable. Very, very last question, Iran, and, and we'll be brief on this one. I realize we're just about around time here. Um in in the more distant future, I'm not sure if it's going to be 10 years, 20 years, and I also don't know if you have any predictions there. I'd be interested in yours because you're more embedded in this particular field than I. Yeah. Um, at some point, we might presume autonomous vehicles would be the norm. Um, yeah. A, when might you presume we'd get through all the legal muddles and adoption muddles to sort of have that be the case where we kind of cross the 50% mark of of uh, really having a lot more aut- autonomous than, than human? And, and B, how does this connected sensor network make sense and, and, and benefit the world at that point too? How does it aid in that transition uh, to autonomous? Yeah. So, so here's the deal. In the next 20, 30 years, we will live in a hybrid world. Initially, there will be a few autonomous vehicles in, in specific places and lots of uh, human-driven cars. And then over time, it will gradually change. Okay, that's the story. It's not going to be a big bang. If anything, because you don't have enough factories to replace all the vehicles that are on the road. Uh, In the U.S. alone, there are 250 million vehicles. And you may not need as many in the future, but you still need a lot. And it takes years and years for for factories to just produce it and for, for people to spend the trillions of dollars 
in 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 doing this refurbish exercise refresh refreshing exercise so yeah. so it will take us time during that time we're going to be in a very peculiar state in which uh, you'll have human drivers and autonomous vehicles share the road now what happens then what happens is if before, if today we are accustomed to emergent management, the road is managing itself because each person is kind of interacting with other vehicles on the road, other drivers on the road in various ways, sometimes in shouting, but in various ways. And you can kind of take believe in, in people to uh, take care of the situation in some respect. In the case where you have lots of autonomous vehicles, lots of human drivers, you're actually going to need to add a management layer. Today, all the, the entire kind of autonomous vehicle industry is looking at the problem of how do I take an individual car from point A to point B without killing anyone, right? The next step after that will be how do I manage the road? How do I uh, ask an autonomous vehicle to uh, move to the left lane and not stay on the right lane because it's more optimal in some in some sense for the greater cause. And for that, you will need a, a management layer that understands what every car does in the atomic sense in every second and provides guidelines, hints, and sometimes orders to the vehicles what to do. And this is what effectively we are building, this, this uh, overarching uh, layer that will uh, allow you to manage the road at scale. And I think this is what you're going to need. This is what uh, all of this kind of sensor data will provide to vehicles, whether they are autonomous or not. Yeah, whoa, In the that's, that's interesting. Yeah, so... so I can I can completely see why that would be necessary. What's curious to me, Iran, is considering you know we've got Tesla and Google and all the major car manufacturers now are, are aiming to sort of build their own uh, autonomous vehicles. You in in an ideal world, I suppose Teslas don't just talk to Teslas. Teslas could talk to Toyotas if it's going to save people exactly. from dying. So exactly. uh, you know violently. So uh, it would really seem to make sense that that communication would be necessary. However, you can also see the incentive for companies to want to make that proprietary. In some sense, you can't blame them. Maybe in some cases you could. Um, but it, it feels as though that, that's going to be a very interesting kind of duke out in terms of you know, who, who owns that. Will that eventually become more of, more of something that's, that's run and owned by principalities or maybe controlled yes. monopoly type situation like – you know, people or the companies that provide, you know, water and electricity. Is this going to be something where it's like, yeah. hey, we we can't have you not talk to these other cars because you want to make an extra nickel per year off of these users, you know, like you have to do it. That, that, that seems like it's its own legal muddle, if I'm not mistaken. So, yes, but there's another reason why you cannot have these world gardens. It's because you never will amount to density. This is a highly fragmented market. So yeah. if all, all the Teslas will talk to all the Teslas, that would be great. But then you get to an intersection and you're the only Tesla around. So what does it matter that you're talking to other Tesla? There's no other Tesla to talk to. And, but you have a Ford and you have a Toyota and you have a GM car yeah. and, and you need those cars. So, so there is a, a really important kind of reason why you need a Switzerland kind of service that is not owned by any of these guys 
that is actually providing a service uh, and a utility service, yes, definitely, for all of them. <laughs> yeah, S- Switzerland-like. I-, I like that as an analogy. I always like a fun quote uh, during an interview, and uh, that's that's an apt way to put it, uh, Iran. So th- <laughs> I appreciate you sharing your insights. I, I hope for the people tuned in, uh, number one, you're you're ready for the peculiar world that Iran has described of this transition to autonomous, uh, but two, that you've learned a lot from today's episode. Iran, thanks so much for joining us on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Uh, sure, happy to be. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives and top researchers and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.